that song, just the promises of God. Yeah. All right, let's pray. God, we are so thankful that you are not just the God who makes promises, that you are the ultimate promise keeper. And that for generation after generation after generation, that the truth of your word stands the test of time. And that whatever the circumstances are that we are facing, that your promises to us are fulfilled in the person of Christ. And that everything is yes and amen because of what Christ has done for us. The fulfillment of life, the fulfillment of victory over death, the fulfillment of of hope and the fulfillment of all of that that is found in the person of Christ. That's why we gather, that's why we worship you, that's why you are the only one worthy of our worship. And so we give thanks today, once again, to be in this place, to be able to worship you, to turn our attention away from things that perhaps may be dominating our thoughts and turn our attention to you. We give you thanks, Lord. We pray that you would be felt in every way today as we worship you, that we would sense your presence as we gather in your name. In the name of Christ, we pray. And everyone said, amen. Can you give the Lord a praise offering today? All right, you can have a seat. We are so glad. We have so much to celebrate today. And I want to take a little time to celebrate it. One, I want to just celebrate us being able to meet together for the first time since Christmas Eve and to be together as a congregation. Can we celebrate that today? awesome. So good to see you. We celebrate the fact that the snow is holding off just long enough for you guys to get out of here and uh, get back home before it comes. And um, I want to celebrate, you know, we've been talking a lot over the last uh, couple of months about our Renovate Capital campaign. And uh, we have some things to celebrate today. For those of you that maybe um, have not been a part of this journey, we've been Uh, We set a goal to raise a million dollars to basically kind of future-proof some spaces uh, around this place and to prepare ourselves as a church for the next season of ministry and kingdom advance and reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, both in person and online. And uh, it was a significant goal uh, to raise a million dollars by the end of next year. And uh, through God's provision and your generosity, um, we have already raised of that million dollars, 950,000 of the million. So we should probably celebrate that. Uh, We had a very generous uh, matching gift of 250,000 that you matched as a congregation that allowed us to do that. And uh, so what that means is that all of the projects that are part of the Renovate initiative, we're going to be able to move ahead with. It also means that the homes that we're going to be rebuilding in Haiti, which is a part of Renovate, 
we're gonna be able to send down almost all of the money that we had set aside, $100,000, to be able to begin rebuilding homes of families whose homes were destroyed by the earthquake that took place this year. And uh, so we're so excited about that. And uh, the other thing is that we still have about $150,000 in pledges that have yet to come in that will allow us to do some things kind of on the wish list that we hoped that we'd be able to do, but weren't quite sure. And it will allow us to rebuild even more homes in Haiti through all of that. So we are so thankful. And I think we should just celebrate God's goodness and his provision. And um, what's been really cool is that the first place that we started kind of phase one for renovate is in this space. And um, which I think is appropriate because as you look at kind of the space that God has provided for us, this is in many respects, kind of the center of that as we come together in this space to grow in our understanding of God's word, to experience the intimate presence of God, to fall on our face before God in worship and to, as a congregation, experience his presence. And uh, this is a very special space. Some incredible things have happened in in my life, in your lives, um, in this space as people have come to Christ and people have come to grow in their understanding of who God is and how God works. And so it's kind of neat that kind of phase one of Renovate has been to redo some things in this place technologically to kind of uh, create an environment that uh, allows us to move forward in what God is wanting us to accomplish as a worshiping community. So we're so thankful. This is just kind of the start of what's happened in here. And you can see behind me some of the results of that. And it's the product of a ton of work. So our team, I just want to say our team has been working nonstop over the last two to three weeks to get the sanctuary prepared for us to be able to come back in this place. And it's been a huge team effort. Uh, our production team that's led by Sway, uh, our, our creative team that's led by Kayla Neal, our facility team that's led by Emily uh, have all been working together. And then we have an incredible partnership with an organization, a company called Summit that has been kind of the mastermind behind everything that we're doing in this space that has allowed us to make some really, really wise decisions. And like I say, they have been working so hard, it's hard for me to even express the amount of effort that has gone in over the last two to three weeks to kind of get this place ready for us to come back and worship. But I would just ask you if you would to just show your appreciation to our whole team for what they have done to get this place ready. It's been incredible. We're so thankful for them. And uh, the other thing I want to say that we're celebrating is that over and above everything that we've done with Renovate and all of that, we ended 2021 as a church um, in the black, which is huge given everything that was going on. And we, we ended in the black way more than we thought that we would end in the black, which positions us, which is so exciting about that, is that it positions us for I think some amazing things that God is wanting to do in the life of our church in 
22. I, I am convinced, folks, that God's anointing is on Fairfax and that God in 2022 is calling us to have impact in this community and globally around the world for more people to come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior than ever before. And um, it may not be exactly the way we expect. If there's anything I've been talking about over the last two years that the last two years has taught us is that sometimes there are unexpected challenges that come up, but that God works in the midst of all of that to accomplish his, his dreams, his mission, his goal for the church. And I'm convinced that God has a very unique plan for Fairfax in 2022 that is going to advance the kingdom, grow the church, and bring people to Christ in ways that we have never seen before. And I'm so excited about that. I'm so thankful for that and so trusting in that. And uh, I wanna just I want to just take a moment and just kind of commit this new year and commit this space, kind of consecrate this space to the Lord. So let's just, let's just bow our heads in prayer. God, we're so thankful for the ways that we have seen you work this year, just in amazing, amazing ways. We're thankful for your provision. We're thankful for the miraculous things that you have done. And Lord, as we stand on the precipice of 2022, with, in many respects, no sense of kind of how things will go exactly and what will happen, but we know that you are in charge, that you are the God who is in control, and that you are the God that, that wants to see the world redeemed and to see lives transformed and to see people come into relationship with you and to know what the love of Christ is all about, to experience your grace in amazing, amazing ways. And so, Lord, we consecrate this year to you. We pray that we would be open to every and anything that you do, that we would see and be in anticipation of your miraculous activity, your work of restoration, your work of redemption. And Lord, we consecrate this space. We know that ultimately that this is not about just technology. And Lord, this is about an environment in which we can come in and experience the presence of God in fresh, new ways. And so we consecrate this space to you. Every time we gather, Lord, may we recognize that we gather in your name and that you are present with us, including in this moment. And Lord, we trust you. We trust you. We trust you. We lean into you for whatever it is that you want to do in our lives and in this church. In the name of Christ, we pray. And everyone said, amen. Can we just give the Lord a praise offering again? Wow. All right. One of our... Uh, Incredible, dynamic young communicators, Josh Falk, is going to be bringing the message today, and uh, I'm so excited uh, about that. Uh, but before Josh comes, uh, we've got some announcements, uh, some things that are happening. 
we want you to be aware of. So take a look at this. Happy New Year, Fairfax. I told you there was a lot going on around here. Let's just share a few of those that are happening right now. Coming up on February 6th, we have our baptism weekend, one of my favorite weekends of the year. If this is something you've been thinking about for a long time or just have a little more, uh, some questions you want to ask, you can always visit our website or email baptism at fairfax.cc and we can definitely help you out. Parents, if you have an elementary age child that would like to get baptized, Fairfax Kids is holding a workshop on January 30th. If you would like to get more information and register your child, visit our website. Last week, we told you about an incredible event coming up. On the 29th, Philip Yancey will be joining us with a live stream to talk about God, science, and the pandemic. If you would like to join in person, there is a registration online. If you're unable to join in person, there is an option to watch the Zoom lecture, and you can find out more information on our website. Another quick reminder, we are starting our small groups this month. We're very excited. There's still plenty of time to sign up, so if you haven't found a small group yet, go ahead and visit our website. Fairfax, thanks again for joining us this weekend. That's enough from us. We're going to turn it over to Josh, who has a great message prepared. Hello there. Happy New Year to you. It's the first time I'm seeing many of you, so Happy New Year. Uh, my name is Josh. Uh, as Rod and uh, Ronnie said, I'm one of the pastors here on staff at the church. Uh, you know, I hope that um, your 2022 is going as planned so far. Tell you, for me, uh, my family's celebrating Christmas tomorrow, so gives you an idea how our plans have been going. So, um, but you know, at this time of the year, uh, it's still we're only two weeks in. Um, it's pretty often uh, for for a lot of us to talk about New Year's resolutions. Uh, these are firm decisions that uh, we make to start doing something new or to make a change or to, to stop doing something. And often these can be resolutions um, that, I don't know, for example, uh, I need to get in better shape. I believe that it's good to exercise and to all that stuff. And that would lead you to uh, exercise more and, and change your diet or something like that, right? Like you think something needs to happen, you believe something needs to happen, and then there's action taken. Or uh, you wanna save more money. You think, oh, I, I wanna be able to save more money uh, for X, Y, or Z, or whatever. And then that would hopefully lead you to like, make a budget and a plan to be able to, to make an action and, and you know, fulfill that, right? And so um, also, um, as followers of Jesus, sometimes you know, at this time of the year is maybe a common time, and we take like a self-inventory of our spiritual life, and, and sometimes we make resolutions, and we say, oh man, like this year, I, I, I just, I wanna spend more time in prayer, or I wanna spend more time reading scripture and in God's word. Uh, man, I need to make more time in my schedule uh, for quiet time and for rest and worship. Uh, or maybe it's like, man, I just wanna prioritize going to church more, or watching more of the service more frequently online. And, and with all of these things, this, there's an emphasis on action, or hopefully on action, right? Doing something with all of these things, you know, you can believe that exercising is good for you, you can believe with your whole heart, I need a new job, right? Say, I can believe, man, I need a new job. Uh, but believing something and, and knowing even how to find a new job is different than actually 
applying for them and going through the whole process and getting a new job. It requires you to take an action. It requires you to put in practice what you know and believe up here. And with our relationship with God, we can all have this knowledge. We can all believe with our whole hearts that I believe God is God. I believe that he loves me and I believe these things. But the thing is, is that we can believe and know these things about God, but they don't produce a change or transformation in us if we don't put them into practice. So we have to put our faith into practice and take action for it to have substance in our lives. And there are a lot of different um, spiritual practices um, and there's a lot of different things that um, we can do as followers of Jesus to put what we believe into action and apply it to our lives and live that out. And we're gonna look at one of them today. We're gonna spend one, um, we're gonna spend today looking at the practice of building community, being in intimate relationships with other followers of Jesus, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And sometimes we can miss the importance of living out this kind of practice, this living uh, as a community that God calls us to be. And there's a lot of reasons why it's hard to live this out. It's a lot of reasons why it's hard to live um, as a community, as a family um, in Christ. But I think one of the reasons why it's hard um, is because we live in one of the most individualistic cultures in the world, right? We uh, generally tend to prioritize ourselves over a group. And here's some things that are like characteristics of an individualistic culture. Being dependent upon others is often considered shameful or embarrassing, right? Like ask any teenager or college student that's returned home, it's for generally speaking, it's like not cool to like live at home, be dependent on your parents, right? Um, independence is highly valued in a culture like ours. Individual rights take center stage. People often place a greater emphasis on standing out and being unique. And people tend to be self-reliant, self-sufficient, or working to be that. And not all these things, not these, these things aren't inherently bad, um, but being in this kind of culture that we are, uh, we can sometimes have a tendency to go through things solo that uh, it's just kind of where we live and what culture we're a part of, that we just have this lone wolf mentality. And when we read scripture, when we're at this point, maybe in the year for some of us, and we're thinking about, man, I wanna grow more in my faith this year. I wanna spend more time with God. I wanna you know, become more of God, who, who God's called me and created me to be, and all those things, that we can think about that sometimes um, being in a culture like ours, through an individualistic lens, that we think about um, my faith and, and all that as just this kind of solo thing. But scripture is so clear that growing in our faith and putting our faith into practice has a lot to do with being an intimate community with one another. So today we're gonna look at a really rich passage. It's Romans 12, nine through 21. And if you're here in the blue seats, there's uh, Bibles to your left and right kind of tucked in there. You're welcome to pull one out. It'll also be on the screens, both here and online. And so you can follow along. Uh, but this is, this is an incredible passage. And uh, we're gonna look at this passage and pull out a few things 
about how to practice building community, um, how we as followers of Jesus um, can grow um, together and um, be a community in the world for Christ. And there's a ton of stuff that's packed in this passage. Uh, we can't possibly look at every angle of it today, but I'm gonna highlight a few things of how we are called to practice living in community together. So let's read, we're gonna read the first part of it. Um, it's gonna be verse nine to 16. So here we go, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. This is the Apostle Paul writing to Christians in Rome in, in the early first century. And notice this passage is set up by um, a key statement, a key verse in verse 10. So that's what we're gonna look at first. Be devoted to one another in love. So the word for love that's translated to our word for love, it's the, the Greek word is Philadelphia. It's one of four kinds of love in the Greek language. And um, if anyone's from Philly, or maybe you're an Eagles fan or something, or you don't like Eagles fans, you know what Philadelphia means? Philadelphia is like city of brotherly love, right? And that's because in the Greek, it means the love of brothers, okay? It's a brotherly, it's a sisterly type of love. And the word in uh, Greek for be devoted to one another, right? So we have be devoted to one another in love. And so love is Philadelphia. And then be devoted to one another is another word for love. It's philostorge. It describes family love. So Paul is saying those of us who are in Christ ought to love one another like family. That this is the first thing in this passage we're gonna look at about what we learn as how we practice building community, and we are called to love one another like family. You may think, yeah, okay, um, I get it. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, I've kind of heard that before. Sounds really cool, but like, how does, you know, I don't know, how does that work, right? What does that look like? In practice, right, what does it actually look like? We're gonna look at a couple aspects of family to kind of help flesh out this idea. So the first thing is being in a family means you don't choose your brothers and sisters. C.S. Lewis, who's a very well-known Christian author, wrote a book on um, the four words for, in Greek for love. It's called The Four Loves. And super short summary, storge, storge which is the word for family affection, uh, philos, which is the love between friends. And then we have eros, which is romantic love, and then agape, which is sacrificial serving love. And the book talks about how this family love has a uniqueness that's different from the other three loves. And then we're gonna look at that real quick to get a better understanding. So romantic love and love between friends, 
these kind of start because there's a certain attraction or value that you kind of see in another person and you wanna be friends with them or you wanna start dating them, you kind of start to fall in love with them. And those usually start, they're your choice, right? Like you choosing to be friends with them, you're choosing to date this person and it usually starts, you're like, oh man, like this person's awesome, you know, they're great, they're whatever. And so there's some kind of attractive quality about them that you choose to start that relationship. And then there's agape love. Agape love um, is the choice of the lover who makes this really hard choice, this selfless, sacrificial, serving love to love somebody that way. It requires the strength of the lover, um, and it's a choice. However, storge, this kind of love is different, this family love. Family love is an automatic, deep love. It's like a mother's love for their baby and the baby's love for the mother, right? It's just automatic. It just happens. It's the love you have for a family member because they're your family. And unlike a friend or someone you fall in love with, you don't choose your siblings. You don't choose your mom. You don't choose your dad. They are given to you. And in your relationship with family, you know, if it was based on having the same interests, having vibing personalities, things in common, you might not choose to be friends with some of the people in your family, right? You're like, man, me and my sibling, we just, you know, we just butt heads and all that stuff. And, and the only thing that brings you together is the fact that you are family. The thing about family is that love exists between people who, if they weren't family, they might have nothing to do with each other. They might not wanna associate each other whatsoever. You're thinking about the parents, thinking about siblings, right? It's like they might have nothing to do with each other if they weren't family. But when you have family love for someone, despite all those differences, despite all those ways that you don't fit together, right? You come to appreciate them in their own way. You come to love them. You um, see the best in them. Paul is saying that connection, that automatic family connection is there and must be practiced by followers of Jesus within the body of Christ, that that storge family love is presence amongst us, brothers and sisters. Jesus says in John 13, 35, he says, the world will know that you are my disciples by the way that you what? By the way that you love one another. All of us here, all of us watching online, people you might be in a small group with in person or online, people you serve alongside of, we may have absolutely nothing in common. We wouldn't have chosen each other to be friends, but we are all one family. We belong to the same heavenly father. And some of our fellow brothers and sisters can be difficult to deal with. You might not have aligned politics or similar interests or personalities that fit together, but like in a family, there is an automatic love that's there, that's available, that should compel us to appreciate them for who they are, to see the best in them. Because you know, in every other area of life, our friends, our job, 
um, dating apps, all this stuff, it's vetting people. You're auditioning people to be in a friend circle, to be, to date them, to, you know, for a job, right? You, what value do you bring to your company? So all these other areas of life, it's auditioning and vetting people. Are you cool enough? Are you enough? Do you fit? Being in a family, we don't choose our brothers and sisters. There is no you fit and you don't. Means we don't look down on one another because we're different. Not because of race or social class or personality. Their views on social issues or politics or whatever. We're called to love one another like family. And being in a family means you don't choose your brothers and sisters, they're given to you. Secondly, what we see about family that I wanna highlight, family means that you are emotionally vulnerable. Right in the middle of this, in this passage, it's all this talk about community and family love, and we got these couple statements here in verse 11 I wanna look at. It says, don't be lacking in zeal, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. What Paul is saying is that being involved in a family can often leave you emotionally exhausted. Take a look at verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. You see, you, you rejoice and share in the joy of your family members in their highs. And you mourn and weep and cry with them and wade into the pain that they experience, that their pain becomes your pain when they're in their lows. It's because of this storge love for one another. Families are deeply invested in each other. When something happens to them, when a joy happens to them, it happens to you. When a pain happens to them, it happens to you. Paul is saying the same is true for us as brothers and sisters in Christ. We are called to love one another by rejoicing with one another in our highs. And that can be a lot harder than it sounds because we get to the comparison game and we don't actually want good things to happen to other people because then it's like, well, I don't have that. That's not happening to me. But we're family. We rejoice with one another in our highs. And we mourn with one another in our lows. This is hard, it's exhausting to do this. It's not emotionally safe. To truly love a brother or sister, you have to be involved, you have to not be distant, but you have to be right there in the mess. It means you care, it means that you don't give up at the first sign of trouble, you're there. That's what family does. But we can be so hesitant to practice that so hesitant to open up our hearts because we all know from experience when you open up your heart, when you choose to start to wade into something like a mess, someone else's mess, a love relationship of any kind, that we are vulnerable, that we, our hearts can be broken. That's why C.S. Lewis says in his book, The Four Loves, he says, to love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. 
If you wanna make sure you keep it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken, but it will become unbreakable, impenetrable, and irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. To, to live like a family, we have to embrace the fact that it will at times get messy because we're all broken people. But what unites us is that we have the same Heavenly Father. We are all one in Christ. No matter how different we are, no matter how difficult we can sometimes be for each other, there is a bond there, a brotherly bond, a sisterly bond. To be intimately involved in one another's life is what it means to be family. To be family means that we build each other up. To be family means we celebrate with each other in our greatest joys and we cry with each other in our deepest hurts. We do not give up on family. We do not give up on one another. We practice building community by loving our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, like family. Now the second part of this passage. In the second part of this text, it talks about how we as a whole, we as a family, we as one, are called to love our neighbor, to love those who are against us, to love our enemies. Not just us individually, but collectively we are called to love our neighbor, to love those against us, to love our enemies. Let's read Romans uh, 12, 17 to 21. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not, over, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We're called to love our enemies. You know, in the world, there's all different types of communities all different types of communities and there's different sets of values and belief that distinguish each of these communities, right? How are we different? How are we as followers of Jesus different? Or at least how are we supposed to be different? What sets us apart as a community, or should, is the fact that we have our identity and our values that are rooted in a man dying on a cross for his enemies. We have our identity and our values rooted in a man who refused to strike back even when he was betrayed and humiliated. This is the Jesus that we follow. That's why Paul says, don't take revenge. 
Not only does he say, don't take revenge, he says, bless those who curse you. Love those who curse you. It means that we are called to practice a way of living that doesn't demonize those who have different views than us or attack people who are on the other side. Paul says, if you understand the gospel, you will bless and not curse. You will love and respect, not disdain and demonize the people who don't agree with you. Even the people who are against you, even the opponents that have you surrounded, even your enemies who seek to hurt you. Look back at verse 20 with me. He says, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. What is that? Paul's saying, if you believe there's anyone that needs judgment for their sins, for the ways that they've wronged you, if you believe that someone needs a wake-up call because they're living in the wrong, they're believing something wrong, they did something wrong, whatever. Okay, they need a wake-up call. They need some burning coals on their head. But how do we heap those on their head? By feeding and giving them something to drink, by loving them through loving behavior. Let your love in doing good convict them. To practice building community, Jesus says we are to love one another as brothers and sisters and we are to love our enemies. Love for another and love for the other. So, to close, how do we do that? <laughs> how, are we how we possibly live this way as a family. Because throughout scripture, we repeatedly see the failure of family. We see the failure of family to give the storge love, this unconditional, intimate love that we all need. We see family fail time and time again throughout scripture. All the way back to the beginning of Genesis 4, we have Cain, who kills his own brother, Abel. And then you keep going in Genesis and you have Ishmael who struggles with his brother, Isaac. Brother and brother. You have Rachel who struggles with Leah. Sister and sister. You have Esau wanting to kill Jacob. Jacob runs away. Joseph who was sold by his own brothers into slavery. On and on through the history of Israel. We go all the way up to the time of Jesus in the New Testament. And what's one of Jesus' greatest parables that we all know pretty well, maybe? The prodigal son. And what is that about? It's about the older brother who hates the younger brother. And they will not be reconciled. And the Bible talks about it over and over again, the failure of family to give the unconditional, intimate love that our hearts were built for. But then Jesus comes, and we see in Mark chapter three, Jesus' own brothers and his own family turned on him. And the crowd looks at Jesus like, so what are you gonna do about that? Your own family rejects you. And Jesus says in verse 35, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven, that is my brother, that is my sister, and that is my mother. Jesus saying, even though our family has failed us, even though our family fails us again and again, 
I have something that can give you the storge love, that unconditional, intimate love relationship that we all need. What, what is this that Jesus is talking about? See, after Cain killed his brother Abel in Genesis 4, talks about how the blood was spilled out onto the ground. And then God comes to Cain and he says, the blood of your brother Abel cries out to me from the ground. This idea of blood crying out from the ground is a metaphor that's often used in scripture. And it talks about the innocent blood is crying out for justice, for vengeance, avenge me. Justice, justice, the blood of Abel cries out. And we read that Cain is driven out and he's exiled. But in Hebrews 12, it says, you have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant into the, into the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Jesus was denied. He was betrayed. He was handed over into death by his own brothers. It was like Abel and his brother was spilled onto the ground Another failure of family love. But with Jesus, there is a difference. Jesus did it voluntarily. He did it as a substitute for you and for me. He came to pay the penalty for all of our failures to love one another. For all of our pride, for all of our selfishness, for all of our brokenness, all the ways we've failed to be the real brother or the real sister to our own families, to our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus came to die for all of those failures. Jesus said, I am going to deal with the barrier between you and God, between me and God. And what that means is that Jesus is the ultimate able, who though Jesus' blood was innocent and was shed, Jesus' blood on the ground did not cry out for justice. Jesus' blood on the ground did not cry out for condemnation. Jesus' blood said, no grace, no mercy. And when we receive that gift, that ultimate gift from our heavenly father, we receive unconditional, intimate, storge love. In Isaiah 49, um, 15, God gives an example of how deep his love is for us. He says something crazy. I mean, listen to this. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget. I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. This crazy idea no, a, mo a mother's love for her baby. There's nothing more powerful than that, right? And God is saying nothing, that, not even that compares to my love for you. Through Christ, you have this storge family love that your heart finally longs for. It's deeper than romantic love. It's deeper than love between friends. And Christ invites all of us to receive his love, to receive his grace. And when we do, we experience freedom. When we embrace what Jesus did for us on the cross, 
in order to bring us into his family. It gives you the freedom and the power to love your enemies, to love and embrace all your brothers and sisters, even when they can be difficult. Even when you have nothing else in common with them, you have different views than them, even when your fellow brothers and sisters hurt you. It's only through the presence of the crucified Jesus in us, remembering what he did for us when we didn't deserve it. It's only through the Holy Spirit in us that we can have the capacity to extend grace. It's only through the fact that we have our identity in a man who when he was betrayed and humiliated did not fight back, did not retaliate. He didn't cry out for justice or for revenge, but showed grace and love. That's our Jesus. Ephesians 5, 2 says, walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us. Walk in the way of love. Practice the way of love. Isn't something that you do in isolation or lone wolf? Practicing the way of love is something we do together, something we do with one another, and we do together to the world. Here at Fairfax, there's a lot of different ways to get involved, to um, start building community with some of your fellow brothers and sisters. And man, if you aren't in one of our groups, um, sharing life together, following Jesus together, if if um, you're not in, uh, we have care groups. Um, we have care groups that are walking through some really hard things. We all can have this trauma that just holds us down, this, these struggles that are so deep and hard to deal with that we cannot walk through them alone. We have care groups that will come alongside. You can come alongside someone else. They can come alongside of you. So we have community groups. We have care groups. We have these awesome Fairfax teams that are serving together, living life together. Look, our Fairfax family isn't perfect. It can be messy. You start to live life with your fellow brothers and sisters. It's really hard to love sometimes. It's exhausting. We're vulnerable. We can be hurt. But when we choose to enter in, when we choose to trust God and know that God loves me no matter what, that I have the storge love, because of Jesus' death on the cross, that I can enter in, I can dare to risk, I can dare to be vulnerable. And God does miraculous transformative work in us when we do that. And then together, as one family, brothers and sisters, arm in arm, we can be the light of Christ in Fairfax. We can be the light of Christ around the world a world that desperately needs it. But first, we must be who we are called to be. One family, brothers and sisters. Let's pray. God, we are um, in awe and we are um, humble, God, by the gift of your son, Jesus, God. 
God, that we get to be a part of this family. God, we get to experience your storge love for us, this unconditional, intimate love, God, that you look at us and all of our faults and all of our failures and you say, I love you. God, I pray that we can accept that love, God. I pray even those of us in this room who have never said yes to what you've done for them on the cross, God, I pray that this is the day that they say yes to you. God, I pray for those of us that might feel, have felt distant and not um, connected to you. God, I, I, I pray that today, that we all are willing to make the bold and risky decision to love one another, to be involved with one another, to enter into one, another, one another's joys and one another's hurts. God, I pray that you would break down all the walls between us, break down all the barriers, God, all of the junk and the baggage that threatens to drive a wedge between our family. I pray that you would unite us, Father. I pray that we would be your light in Fairfax. God, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. God, let your kingdom come to Fairfax. God, use us. Make us more like you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.